Hey, it's Daryl. Welcome to another bonus episode of Found, where our producer Maggie catches up with a previous guest to see how founder life has been going and get an update on their businesses. Today, Maggie is talking with Kathy Hanoon from Dandelion, which is a home geothermal system that replaces your existing air conditioning and heating equipment with a powerful heat pump and underground pipes that move heat between the earth and your home. Hey, Kathy, thank you so much for coming back on to Found. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, I was just looking and you were our fifth episode all the way back in May of 2021. So a different world. It really was. Yeah. (laughs) So what has been going on with Dandelion Energy since we last talked? I was just looking and I saw there was a recent expansion into Massachusetts. But yeah, what would have been the updates? Well, you're right about that. We're in Massachusetts, as well as Connecticut, New York, a tiny part of New Jersey and a small part of Vermont. And I think back in May 2021, we probably had two drilling rigs, maybe uh, just within the company. We now have 12. So we've really increased our capacity to do installations. We're doing many times more than we were last year. And that's seemingly going to accelerate. The big news in our world lately has been the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act in the Senate. We'll see it's supposed to pass in the House. It probably will, but it hasn't happened yet. So there's always that chance that it won't. But assuming all goes according to plan, that will be very, very meaningful for us. There's a lot of really good stuff in there for geothermal and for heat pumps. What specifically in there do you think will it help you in terms of expansion or just making building easier? Because residential areas, I'm sure it's really hard to bring in massive drills and do like dig five feet, you said down or 500 500 feet. feet. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So what's in there is tell me if this is too much detail, but (laughs) some of the highlights are there's a 30% federal tax credit. So any homeowner in the US who wants to get a geothermal heat pump for their heating and cooling will get a 30% tax credit back on the total price of their system and that's in place for 10 years. Wow. So it provides a very substantial credit for, you know, a long time and that certainty on the policy front is so valuable for us. Not only is it a tax credit for the customer, but there's also a change where if the system is third party owned and what that means is like let's say I as Dandelion decide to put a ground loop in, but then lease it to you as a homeowner. That use case is also given a 30% tax credit, and it's actually 40% if the heat pump in that system is made in the U.S. The heat pumps we use are made in the U.S. And so it allows us to start creating those lease products like the solar industry did, which was so critical for their expansion. And then there's a bunch of other rebates and incentives in there for homeowners switching to high energy efficiency, you know, renewables. And that's like additional money towards people who would get geothermal. So it's a huge push. You know, it's going to like really accelerate the transition of our building stock in this country to renewable. So it's very exciting. Again, it hasn't 100% passed yet. So it feels a little, I mean, it's very, (laughs) the Senate was the hard part. So it feels very likely to happen, but we'll know for sure within a few days. Cautiously optimistic. Exactly, exactly. And then on the drilling question, I mean, one of the really important things about going from two rigs to 12 now and soon, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll double that is just our rigs that we use are so much smaller than what's out there typically. 
So we're actually able to fit on the small suburban yard and get the holes in. So it's been, it's enabled us to install a lot more jobs at the same time, which, you know, it's very useful because we have a lot of interest from customers who are otherwise contending with very high oil prices lately. Yeah, I guess, I mean, not super relatedly, but the startup landscape in general is looking very different than when we talked to you Mm -hmm. back in 2021. How are you thinking about or planning for the downturn that, you know, is no longer really knocking on our door, but is pretty much here? Well, like every other startup, it seems we're also switching from prioritizing growth and expansion. Now we're prioritizing getting to profitability and making sure we have a sustainable path, you know, to to becoming a money-making company. And so it is a shift in priorities, but ultimately those two forces are always in balance. So it's not like we're just shifting to the other side of the spectrum alongside everyone else. Yeah, definitely. I know there was quite a bit of talk in your longer episode about fundraising and sort of the struggles as such a like frontier tech or like new idea coming on the market. So how over the past year has your fundraising been going and how have you been thinking about like your investor relationships? One of the exciting things that's happened to us is our latest investor is Lennar, the largest home builder in the United States. And that is a very strategic partnership for us. I mean, they are looking for solutions because they know they're not going to be able to continue installing gas or installing propane in their new housing developments. So they're sort of aware electrification is coming and just trying to find the best solution for them and for their homeowners. And of course, for us, being able to prove out our model in new home developments that have hundreds or thousands of homes going in at once. And I think very importantly, just getting to the point where the U.S. isn't continuing to install fossil burning systems in new homes, which we'll then just need to replace, you know, like, but mm-hmm. let's, yeah. let's actually just solve that and start installing heat pumps now. It's just so critical. So that's been a really positive development, just that deepening relationship with Lennar and Dandelion's foray into new home construction in addition to our retrofit business. Yeah, that's so exciting. Was that something you were thinking about when you first created Dandelion was getting in on the ground floor in some of these developments? It was a question that we got from investors a lot in the early days. Why go after retrofit? It seems so much harder to install a heat pump in a house that already exists and is probably hundreds of years old if it's on the East Coast, (laughs) rather than just a new house, you know? And the reason we started with retrofit is because it takes a very long time to do deals where you're putting an unfamiliar technology to that builder into their homes, right? That builders like to have a lot of predictability. Their whole business is driven on very tight logistics. And so highly predictable products that they've used for a long time, there's such a premium on that. So we've been building this relationship with Lennar for years. And over time, they've become much more familiar with our product. And we've gotten to do the pilots and all of those things. And so now we're finally in a place where we're starting to explore putting these in real developments. But it would have been a very difficult place to start, right? I think as a startup, you can't wait years to get your, I mean, some do, some wait years to get their first customer. But we thought we can just sell to a homeowner tomorrow, right? Like, it's one or two homeowners usually that have to make mm-hmm. the decision and then you can install. 
So that sales cycle is much simpler. We should start that way. We can learn so much. We can grow this business. But yeah, we always, we always knew that getting the new construction customer would be hugely advantageous and really help us with our mission. I mean, and to achieve your mission and your goals, you can't, you need both. Like obviously like the new developments, that's great. And that's huge, but yeah, you need to retrofit those, you know, hundred year old homes in Massachusetts. Exactly. Yeah. There are so many existing homes. Like if, if we only do new construction, that's not going to work either. We have to figure out both how to exactly what you said, like get the carbon emissions out of the existing building stock and let's please not continue digging the hole by continuing to put in furnaces and boilers in new houses. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So how has growth been going on your team? You said something I really cool when you on your episode before about basically you were speaking about imposter syndrome and how you've learned that you don't have to be the knowledge keeper for every piece, but your skill set is really in like bringing together all of the experts in various fields, which I thought was just a really cool way to look at leadership, especially as a founder. So how has the team growth been going and how has your growth been going as a leader? I still feel the same way as when I made that (laughs) comment. Yeah. I mean, one of the choices I made as a founder was in 2020, I brought in a CEO and now my role is I lead product in R&D. And so Mm -hmm. one of the things that I've got to watch is Michael, the CEO, really building a very, very talented high performance management team. And what a difference that has made to the capabilities of the company. And I think it's, you know, it's exactly what I was hoping for when I made that decision, you know, like try to learn even more, like how do we attract the best people to further this company's mission and to to do what we need to do? And how do we identify them? Like how do you, in an interview, which tends to be a short period of time, understand like how is this person going to be? And then once you make that critical decision of who are you going to hire, what do you look for to understand yeah. how it's going, right? And do performance management. So anyway, all of that stuff, I feel like it's I've continued to get so much better and learn so much from him and from the great managers he's hired, right? Who are now on the management team with me. And I feel the same way about my job today. It's like so much of it is just breaking down really complex problems into pieces that are solvable and then understanding who the right people are to bring together to figure them out. It's like, that seems to be the job the whole way. It's just exactly what that looks like and how big the team is and the types of problems you're solving changes. How did that feel for you as the person who started this company hiring a CEO or what went into that decision? Because I don't think that we've talked to a lot of founders who it isn't like a co-founder or someone on the founding team who is now the CEO if it's not them themselves. So yeah, Yeah. what went into that decision? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a very difficult decision. I would say for mostly the reason that, well, on the side of me wanting to hire a CEO, I wasn't enjoying the job very much. Like I was doing the (laughs) role of CEO. I I was learning a lot. But Dandelion is a very operationally intensive company. It's like there's a lot of operations, there's a lot of sales and marketing and management and just like a lot of moving pieces. Whereas what I love the most, like the job that 
I am drawn to is more product and Mm -hmm. technology development, which I basically got to spend no time on because every the other requirements of the CEO role were always more seemingly urgent. So I knew from a life happiness fulfillment, just liking my job perspective, I didn't want the role forever. And that was a hard thing to understand about myself because I also wanted the company to last forever. So it was like, if I held those two things in my mind, I was like, I don't want to be in a position where if the company continues to be successful as I want it to be, I'm going to continue to be unhappy, right? So that realization made me confident I needed to hire a CEO. But on the flip side, I feel like there's almost like not that much you can do to potentially destroy your company and (laughs) (laughs) your own happiness within the company more quickly than hire the wrong person as CEO, right? Like making a mistake there could have been pretty fatal. And so it felt very high risk. And it was super important to me that it wasn't rushed. So when I brought this to the board that I wanted to look for somebody, I just really, it was so important to me that it was on my own timeline and like we didn't do it until I was sure we had the right person and they were really supportive of that. And, you know, I I was lucky because Dan Yates, who's the executive chairman of Dandelion now, was such an important mentor to me, still is. Like he really, Mm -hmm. I trust him so much and he had been so helpful to me as a founder and he had worked with Michael for I think seven years or something very closely at his prior company, O-Power. And so because Dan thought so highly of Michael, it gave me a lot more confidence than I would have had for somebody I didn't have such a close mutual connection with. And then I met him and he seemed, you know, I, I became comfortable with it. And I'm happy to be able to report that it was the right decision, right? Like I got exactly what I wanted. I like my job so much more. I'm like, it's a much better life situation for me. And I think it's also been a great opportunity for Michael. And I've learned so much from him, right? So it's definitely worked out, but it did feel like a very high risk decision. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm so glad that it worked out. And yeah, I feel like that personal recommendation, there's no way you could just go in blind with someone. (laughs) Be like, here's my company. Here's my baby. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I almost got cold feet because the first two people that we interviewed were just so wrong. Like they felt so wrong to me for the role. And then I was just like, I don't know if I can do this because I can't imagine having someone like, I mean, they were perfectly fine people, don't get me wrong, but it's just like they didn't feel right to me. And I am glad that it worked out as it did. I think another thing that made the decision hard is that we're taught socially or just given what's prestigious in our society, that being the CEO is like, the best thing to be. And so I do feel like I had to be really careful with myself not to let that external pressure to want the role to cloud my own understanding of what I wanted. And I kept telling myself, like, you're in such a amazing position to get to even choose what your role is, which is so unusual in in life, mostly with jobs. (laughs) So like, why wouldn't you choose what you really want? Like, why force yourself to do something else, even if other people might think it's the more desirable choice, right? So that was certainly something I had to figure out too. Yeah, it is so interesting. I've I've talked with friends, not at the CEO level, but even just being offered like more management 
positions and they're like, no, but I like to do like I like to be an engineer. I don't like to manage people and to be the liaison between them and leader. Like, I don't want that job. Like, but there is that voice where it's like, but that's the next rung on the ladder, which Mm -hmm. I think that there should be a whole other management ladder. Like, I don't think it should be like you're good at one thing. Therefore, you're going to be good at leading a team has never clicked with me. But I think that's awesome and takes so much self-perception that you could be like, actually, the CEO of this company that I care so deeply about is not for me. I'm going to go do the things that I love and focus on the product that I love. And I'm glad you're happier now. I think it helps to be a founder in the sense that your incentives truly are very aligned to the company, right? I think me believing that the company would benefit from a person who truly wanted the job and like was hungry for it and was going to put everything into the CEO job. Like I just, I knew that if I could do what I was best at and was so eager to do, and that person could do the CEO role, which they would be so eager to do, the company would probably be more successful. And at the end of the day, that truly is what I care about the most, right? So I think it does help. Whereas it's a little harder, at least it was for me when I was an employee at a company where I was definitely not the founder. There's a lot more, I don't know, like I think, as you said, that rung on the ladder and your salary and your, it's a little, your incentives are a little bit more mixed, which can make Mm -hmm. that type of decision a little bit harder. Yeah, I guess to close us out, what advice would you give yourself a year ago or the last time we talked? What, What do you wish you could tell yourself? It's a good question. It's hard to even remember what was going on in May of 2021. You know what I mean? But, um, oh yeah. I mean, I think that the big change, you know, the the climate for startups couldn't be more different than it mm-hmm. is now from May of 2021, right? And so I think whenever you have such a big switch so quickly relatively, it's always a good reminder that it's best to think long term and focus on doing the things for your business that are truly adding real value, right? Like just focus on the fundamentals of is the technology development on track? Is the strategy smart? You know, does the business model work? Are we tracking the right metrics? It's like all of those questions. I think sometimes when there's such a hyperactive market as there was in 2021, it can, they can seem like they matter less almost because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of overlooking of the fundamentals maybe. But like it's, I guess it's just is so clear over and over that it's not so complicated. It's like those are the things that matter. In the end of the day, we're all just building businesses that you know have to work as businesses. And I actually think because we're such a real world, you know, heat pumps in homes business, we've been forced to always keep very close track of our costs and metrics, just because you know, it's real, it's all physical, physical goods, but it's the mindset. It's like, we haven't had as much scrutiny on those things externally as we will now. So I'm just so thankful that that's been part of the culture, because if it, if we had lost sight of that, we would be in a much worse position today. So it's just like, I don't know, it's just good to remember that so that we continue to make it part of the culture of the company. Totally. It's a perspective shift. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on and for being so 
honest with your answers. It was really nice to check back in and I can't wait to see where Dandelion is in 2023. Thank you, Maggie. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch News Editor Daryl Etherington and TechCrunch Managing Editor Jordan Crook. Yashad Kulkarni is our executive producer. We are produced by Maggie Stamets and edited by Kel Keller. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com, and you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.